Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? All right. I figured it out. Oh, really? What yep. did you figure out? So last week, we, we talked about Roy Rogers teaching Sunday school. Yes. Yes. And I, I was throwing out names and ideas of people that I thought would be like the modern day equivalent of, you know. Right. At which point you named someone I'd never heard of. Dan Pobenmeyer. And I got Still. some feedback this week, and, and I think Josh Revis nailed it. Okay, so let's I, hear it. I got the answer, courtesy of Josh Revis, friend of the pod, and it's the dude perfect, guys. I actually think that's pretty, I think that's pretty close. Yep. I think that's about as close as it, as it gets. You, I, you did throw out it could be Mr. Beast. Yeah, I thought which, about that one. But like Mr. Beast isn't Christian. So correct. Like, it needs to be somebody who fits the mold. Right. That's like well known. Like that's guy that person could that could actually be teaching yeah. a Sunday school class somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right, dude. Perfect. Can you imagine being a middle school boy and having Ty and those guys be you know your Sunday school teacher? Like pretty wild. I would never miss church. I mean, I don't miss it. As I least, mean, I was going to say, do you miss it anyway? No, I don't. <laughs> but, okay. Because I teach Sunday school. <laughs> It, maybe maybe it's you is the equivalent. Yeah, I uh, do not. Of Roy think so. Rogers. I okay, do not think so. It is weird that I am teaching like young adults in college, and my oldest son is in my class, and that's weird. But I bet it is. It, it's like what Beth's had her whole life because she's had our kids in her ministry almost her entire right. life. So right, pretty weird. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that, that's what we figured out. Mister Mister Beast was a good contender, but the guys from the guys from Dude Perfect. Are the correct answer, Josh Revis? You win a prize. So there you go. Yep did did we ever did we ever talk about the Mr. Beast video that was done in Anaheim yeah, last year? Okay, yeah. I couldn't it was remember the setup and everything. And you guys, stay yeah, the after giant, it. yeah, the giant yeah. gumball machine. It's pretty yeah. wild. Yep, that's actually the first time I'd ever heard of him. So I, I, crazy. I, my boys know him; they watch it all the time. But like, I'm like, guys, this is I, I don't see the appeal. So I'll watch Dude Perfect though. I enjoy them. All right. Hey, well, hey, let's jump into the show, and uh, been a pretty light news week this week in the SBC, so we're going to kind of flip things around. We have a, we talked about it last week, we have an interview with Josh Benton, who's Vice President at Sin Relief. Here is our interview with Josh Benton. Joining us this week on the podcast is Josh Benton. He's the North American Vice President for Send Relief and a good friend of the pod. Josh, thanks for stopping by, man. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan, for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, tell the people, you know, a little bit about what you do for Sin Relief. I know it's it's a, I would say it's still in its infancy. I know you've got a yeah. lot going on already. I mean, there's a lot of work that Sin Relief is doing around the country, around the world. You're really focused on the North American aspect, but tell them exactly what you do and what the Sin Relief mission is here in North America. Yeah, absolutely. So Sin Relief is a, it's a joint ministry of North American Mission Board and International Mission Board. And so, like you said, we get to do stuff all over the world. Uh, which is fantastic. I'm specifically responsible for our North American ministry. And so that includes, you know, assisting Southern Baptist disaster relief in a time of a disaster. And so we're doing that right now in places like Vermont and New York and Texas with, you know, flooding in different places and tornadoes uh, going on. And so we resource those DR teams. Um, but primarily, um, you know, day to day, we our, our goal is to help churches 
engage in ministry um, and, and fulfill the Great Commission through ministries of compassion. And so we do that through ministry centers. Um, we do that through uh, things like Serve Tour, um, where we go to different places and help the community, uh, church community engage uh, with needs in their community. Um, but our ministry centers, which I know we'll talk about, um, they're doing ministry every day and they're hosting teams uh, who come alongside of them. Uh, we also um, train and resource churches. Uh, we just, as you guys ran and talked about the, the church guide to ministry, uh, different trainings that churches can do to help them start ministry, uh, whether it be you know, traditional like feeding and poverty, homeless ministries to um, human trafficking, adoption and foster care um refugees uh, so we we have our hands in a lot of different types of ministry um, we have some really talented missionaries all over north america that do that and it's um, i'm grateful for the opportunity to, to to serve along with them all right well josh coming up next month august 27th there's a special sunday for mm-hmm. uh, southern baptist church's global hunger mm-hmm. sunday and so that's something that that we've done before but can you talk a little bit about that how churches can participate in that and what it what that looks like for them yeah. locally so the global hunger offering has been around for a really long time and you, you think about you know the, the sub-Saharan famine that was going on 30 plus years ago is really the origins of the offering. Um, but it's been longstanding and, and, and continues to go. Sin Relief is responsible for promoting uh, the offering to Southern Baptists. Um, and so that is coming up. Global Hunger Sunday is, is August 27th. Um, but it's a huge need in the world right now. I mean, you look at you know, things that we're dealing with in the United States around, you know, inflation and, and different types of you know, food costs going up and shortages and all of those different things. It's magnified several times over all over the world. Um, it's, you know, the, the Ukrainian war has disrupted the global food supply in ways that we just haven't seen in, in decades. Uh, and so there are places all over the world uh, that are in, in dire straits. Uh, then a number of around, you know, 2.3 billion people facing food insecurity. And um, and then you dig even deeper to that, um, almost 700 million on the cusp of famine. Wow. And so, so it's r- a real huge quick on that. Uh, yeah. Can we can we just put a pin there? What the uh, food insecurity like yeah. I, I, people hear that term? I don't know if they really know what that means. So, yeah, no, that's good. That's a good point. So food insecurity just means a, a lack of access to affordable food. And you look at it in the most general way, um, affordable food, healthy food. Uh, and and at its most severe level is access to any food. Mm. And, and, and so, that's the famine part there. That that's the about, famine yeah. part that we see. And so you talk about like, you know, here in uh, the United States, we have a ministry center in the Austin community of Chicago. So it is one of the um, largest neighborhoods in Chicago. Is that the one we went to for the? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. We had a trust, trustee, had a trustee meeting. meeting in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We, um, we, we went and visited it. And, there is not a retail grocery store in the Austin community, and it is home to over really? two hundred thousand people. Yeah, wow. And so, so well, see, you, I think people have... think food insecurity; they think overseas. And that's that was right. the next question I was going to have. That's a thing here. That is in, in communities like you're talking about, especially in these large yeah. metropolitan areas. That's right. So you see it in large metropolitan areas. You all and you also see it in in rural in areas. Yeah. Rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we see it in the United States. We obviously see it all over the world. Um, the global hunger offering 
really helps support the the feeding and food ministries of Send Relief as well as state conventions. And so that those offerings, uh, when they're when they're given, they're divided up amongst Send Relief, the state conventions, so that um, the different feeding and food ministries, and also what we call you know, they're, they're ministries that that help prevent hunger. Mm-hmm. And so the underlying causes for hunger. So it can it like maybe health, it may be um, education and different things like that, depending upon the context and the need. Um, but um, and it is a significant issue right now globally, uh, even in the news this week about, you know, grain supplies and, yeah, and the impact that the war in Eastern mm-hmm. Europe is, in, is, is taking um, on global food. So the hunger uh, offering is an opportunity for for Southern Baptists to, to give. They can do that um, through an offering at their church on our website. They can give online. Um, we have resources um, to help promote the offering for churches um, that are there on our website uh, at sendrelief.org that are available for download. Yeah, you mentioned that. And, you know, a lot of this, if you're specifically looking for global hunger relief stuff, globalhungerrelief.org. So that's globalhungerrelief.org. The old friends of the pod, those who have been around for a while, have heard us talk about global hunger in the context of bread banks and rice bowls. Because we we talked about that. I I had those uh, at the office, actually. Somebody sent sent us a rice bowl. Remember that, Amy? We got like rice bowls in the mail. Uh, so we had bread banks and rice bowls. That was and then, my friend. Yes. That was my friend that sent that. There yeah. you go. Uh, when I was when I was in student ministry, that was I remember we got a shipment of the rice bowls to fill. Yeah. There <laughs> there I, there's no how many there's no telling how many pounds of pennies uh that were sent during those rice bowl efforts. Hey man, that it, it works. Every penny matters. Yes, it does. We talk about that every month on corporate program. That's Don't right. forget the cents. And then uh also the five K that Amy and I participated in. In Phoenix, remember that Amy? That's right. That we participated yeah, in. I, I the did air that. quotes. The people on well, people can't see me doing the air quotes. It was there like run from bed. Or yeah, run something from bed. Like that. We, yeah. we both supported that effort. Yeah. So, what what a hard place to have a five k, especially well, if you depending on when it was. That's a really hot place to have a five. k Oh, it was at the end of the old meeting. So I mean, it yeah. was June. It was so, warm. That was Joe Joe Wagner. I think was leading that that effort back then. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. So we we've talked about Global Hunger Sunday quite a bit here on yeah. the podcast over the last few years, and and glad to do that again. So, uh, so that's Global Hunger Sunday, August twenty yeah. seventh. Again, resources online: globalhungerrelief.org org or sinrelief.org. You can find that information there. Help promote that in your churches and, and give toward that offering. Uh, another thing you, you've you've touched on it before: the Sin Relief Ministry Centers. Yeah. So we got about twenty of those. Around yeah. the country, and not just in the U.S. It's North America's Puerto Rico's yeah. got one. Amy's been to that one. Whoa, we talked whoa, about whoa, that. whoa, stop, stop. Well, it's Puerto Rico is in the U.S. It is a territory the, of the United they States. They don't play so, for us in the World Baseball Classic or the Olympics. So put that in your pipe. I want and smoke. I it. want to go on the. I I I have different categories for this. Yes, in the U.S., Puerto Rico is a United States territory. Keep going. Keep going. I'm just saying, in the Olympics and in the all the other things, they're not. So they have their own. Know. They have their own national sports teams. Yes, which is, yeah, is yes. interesting. That's so the only way we classify them in the how household. But I'm I'm gonna <laughs> I, I'm gonna be a little protective here because that's the one sin relief center I've been to. Yes, in and North America. Yeah. Yes, in North Very, America, across uh, North yeah, America. It's 
great and then also one in space. Yeah, we have one in the greater Toronto area as well. We volunteer else... tribute to go to that one too. By the way, yes, just throwing that out because I love to go to Canada. Yes. Yeah. All right, but anyway, so talk to us. Like I know this, the you mentioned it a minute yeah. ago. The Sin Relief Centers they each have their different emphases, and some of them have multiple emphases. That's so, right. like the one in Puerto Rico is doing something vastly different than the one we just talked about in Chicago. That's correct. Yeah. So you know, every just like every community that a church is located in is different. It's the same thing with our ministry centers. They're not cookie cutters. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, Southern Baptists are so generous through the Annie Armstrong uh, Easter offering to, to help place missionaries. And those, a lot of those missionaries are found at our ministry centers and they are doing phenomenal gospel centered community ministry. Um, and, you know, that ranges, it looks different in Puerto Rico, which is a lot of, you know, rebuild. They, you know, starting in 2016, 2017 with hurricanes and earthquakes and, and different things like that, there's a, there's a great need for, you know, housing and construction work. And so if you go to Puerto Rico, there's a good chance you're going to do some light construction work. Um, if you go to Los Angeles. Did you have Amy for, do light construction work? You probably painted something, maybe. Did not. She did not. Oh, no. I, I, I that was is, there. That is not I, who you want doing any kind I, of light, heavy, indifferent. No. You don't want me. Oh, painting. that's funny. But I just toured it. I was there for, uh, gotcha. for an, uh, yeah, with a, one of our um, church plants down there. So I was there visiting them. But then we went and toured it. If I ever go, you you want me doing something that's not <laughs> painting or. Hey, we do some kids' ministry. There we there go. Too. Hey, hey so, yes. You know, if, and so that, that works too. We have a. In Puerto Rico, in addition to the the construction work and and repair, we also um, have a, a a a partner who's a ministry center that's a um, that does foster care, yeah. uh, adoption, and child placement and that sort of thing, and and has a group home orphanage, um, and so there's a lot of good work that goes on in Puerto Rico. Then you go to a place like Los Angeles, you um, you might be going down to Skid Row and working in extreme poverty. Uh, engaging in street poverty and helping uh, sharing the gospel, uh, serving meals, uh, helping people get off the street. It's amazing to me in, in L.A. in particular, the stories that we hear about just teams going and engaging in, in poverty there. Uh, and there's people that have been living on the streets and helping them get off the streets and going to some where they can get long term gospel centered uh, care. And then you go to a place like Ashland, Kentucky, in the heart of Appalachia, and you're working in a very rural area uh, with long-term uh, poverty issues uh, in the Appalachian region. So it might be a kids' club. It could be construction. Um, it's it, it runs the whole gamut, really. And so we have 20 of those ministry centers. Um, there are mission trip opportunities. Um, yeah, I was really going to ask, how can, how can churches get involved in that? Yeah, year-round. Obviously, summer is... Uh, a big uh, mission trip time, but we have things in uh, the spring and the fall as well. And uh, and we love it when we get to host teams. It's a phenomenal opportunity for for churches to come and serve alongside our missionaries. You know, at the end of the day, we really want those ministry centers to be examples of, you know, how uh, the church can engage and, and serve their community in very tangible ways. And what we love to do after that is a team goes home and they recognize the needs in their own community. Um, and then those same missionaries that they worked with on that trip can walk alongside them to help develop their own ministries. Yeah. And so it's a, we love our, 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 our ministry centers, uh, our missionaries there do a phenomenal job. And something we've seen 
churches partnering with sin relief ministry centers as well as like in their local churches is a backpack ministry. I know That's back right. to school's coming up. My kids start, I mean, believe it or not, my kids start next week. They start know, school next week, which is crazy. about over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a lot of churches, I mean, we read a story recently on, on Baptist Press, and I'll link to that in the show yeah. notes about the backpack ministry and then how it is helping communities and how, how really that's a simple, simple ministry that churches can do that really makes an impact locally in their community. It's, you're exactly right, Jonathan. So, you know, the backpack has been a, a ministry tool that our missionaries use at ministry centers. It's um, a very tangible and discreet, respectful way to get people what they need. And so it might be school supplies uh, for you know, uh, a vulnerable family. Um, it might be um, food and hygiene products for someone that's living in a shelter. But it's a it's a tool that our missionaries use all the time. And so a couple of years ago, we we talked about expanding that. To, if we really want to help churches engage, we want to help in their communities, we resource them. And so a backpack's an easy way to do that. And so every year we have a backpack day. Um, where we give away um, backpacks to churches that um, can be used to, it, it's primarily this time of year, we focus on back to school, like he said, and then there'll be packing events at churches and then churches engage with their school districts and, 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 and schools to say, hey, we're going to pack these, what do you need in them? Um, and so last year, um, we had 900 churches participate um, gave away over 60,000 backpacks uh, to communities all over North America. And we're, we're trending that way again this year. So uh, it's, it's just been really exciting to see churches latch onto that and, and, and replicate ministry that our, our missionaries do every day. Yeah. That's one of the easiest ways churches can impact their communities is, is through the local schools. So right, it's just picking up the phone and calling yeah. the school guidance counselor principal and saying, Hey, we're going to give you, <laughs> School supplies. I there's a yes, please. Uh, yeah, that's right. There's um, and not not every, you know, this doesn't happen everywhere. But I know that there's an association uh, in Kentucky who just called their their school district and said, "Hey, you tell us how many kids need school supplies. That's how many backpacks full of school supplies were given away this year." And um, it allows churches to to engage with uh, a school district and with families uh, in those schools that. Otherwise, they they may not um, be able to engage with. All right, Josh. So just as we wrap this up, can you just tell us a few things uh, that are ways that we can pray sure. for sin relief in our churches and um, in our communities? Yeah. So um, the first thing is our missionaries. Um, they uh, the, the work that they do every day is. Is for the long haul. And they see a lot of hard things and a lot of hard circumstances. So I always ask for prayer for our missionaries um, that they would um, just have the endurance and the strength and the joy uh, of Christ in the ways that they serve. And then the other side of that coin is to pray for the communities that we serve in. Um, they we we intentionally have ministry centers in in tough places, and so um, and, and places that. Yeah, people aren't necessarily just walking into church. And so pray for those communities that through and, and in the midst of their brokenness, um, that uh, our missionaries, the teams that come and serve would uh, reflect the the love and grace of Christ. Um, and uh, and then the churches that serve along with us, 
um, that what we do would be an example to them and that they would take uh, that with them and serve their communities well. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Josh. Again, the Global Hunger Relief Sunday, August 27th. All the resources and information, SidRelief.org, GlobalHungerRelief.org as well. We appreciate you taking the time. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Josh. All right, Jonathan. That was a great opportunity to uh, to talk to Josh and want to thank him for coming on. And then remember, everybody, it's Global Hunger Sunday. Yes, Global Hunger Sunday coming up at the end of August. Be sure to be a part of that in your church. And, uh, you know, you get the backpack ministry as well. There's a story of Baptist Press. We mentioned that in there. So a lot of ways that you can connect with Sin Relief over at sinrelief.org, globalhungerrelief.org as well. Thanks to Josh for coming on the show. Looking forward to seeing him in just a couple of months, uh, I think in Denver, out there at the NAM trustee meeting. So usually see him there at those and uh, hang out with him. Good guy and good friend of the pod. So thanks again, Josh, for coming on the show. Amy, to the news we go this week, and we got some news out of Charleston Southern. Dondi Costin, uh, remember we talked about him going to Liberty. He was the former president at Charleston Southern. Uh, and Charleston Southern has a new president now. That's right. So they named their new president this week, Keith Faulkner. He is the um, going to be the fourth president of Charleston Southern. He is a graduate. A 1998 Charleston Southern alumnus. And, By the um, way, wild that they only had four presidents so far. Yeah, yeah, I mean, kind of crazy. Not a lot. And Dondi just came a few years ago. So Right, right. So long time. Long, yep. long tenured presidents in the past. That's right. So, um, so yeah, Keith Faulkner has had a, a long career, had a long career in the Navy before, um, before going to Charleston Southern. So... That's a great fit, I think, for the Charleston area, yeah. that naval background mm -hmm. for sure. And well, then, yeah, and Dondi had that Air Force background. So that's right. That's right. And, um, and then most of his higher education experience has been in law school area. Like he was the dean of Liberty University School of Law. He's currently the president and dean of Appalachian School of Law in Virginia. Um, he had been interim dean at Campbell University School of Law. Um, and then, yeah, yes. Um, and then also was dean of their school of business. So has gotten uh, just a lot of experience in those places. And now we'll take that to Charleston Southern. So it has to be very exciting to get to go to his alma mater. So he's got a lot of experience in that higher ed world and looking forward to seeing that blossom in his leadership at Charleston Southern. Some, uh, so, so we got a coming and now we got some goings over at Southeastern. They announced three professors would be retiring this year. David Beck, leaving after 28 years as the professor of New Testament and Greek and has been the associate dean of biblical studies. So uh, David Beck, one of the three. That's right. So David Beck is um, such a good and, and kind man. Like you said, been around almost 30 years teaching New Testament um, and Greek there at Southeastern. He is, I think Mary would say, her favorite professor. Um, oh, really? And just, cool. yeah, just a great, uh, really a great man to sit in his, sit in his classroom. Um, so he graduated from Duke in 1994 and uh, where he got his PhD and then joined the faculty at Southeastern a year later. So been around for a, a really long time. Um, just a great, faithful, just faithful professor. So, uh, so really, really uh, an, a real honor to kind of see him at the, at this moment. Also leaving after 28 years, joined at the same time, 95. That's right. John Hammett, 
who is going to retire from full-time teaching and administration as the Senior Professor of Systematic Theology and the John Ledley Dag Chair of Systematic Theology. That's right. So uh, John Hammett is known by a lot of people who have come through Southeastern, and he, he has he's has an incredible um, mind for theology, very much an expert on Baptist ecclesiology. I took I took him for both of my theology classes and absolutely loved, loved, loved sitting under him. He's he's amazing. Um, he spent some time on the mission field where yeah, was a missionary. He and his wife were missionaries to Brazil in 1991. Um, just an incredibly gifted man. And also we were um, at the same church for a few years too, Faith Baptist Church in, in Youngsville. And he just a, a devoted son. Sunday school teacher there. Really, really wonderful. So, uh, so it's, uh, you know, bittersweet, but also he's going to teach some as an adjunct professor and continue mentoring doctoral students as as well. So we'll still see him around. Absolutely. And then also the third member of the retirement class, I guess, of 2020, Al James, who's been the uh, professor of missions, associate dean of ministry studies, and the director of the equip network at Southeastern Seminary, leaving after 21 years at Southeastern. That's right. So he um, also significant missions background was uh, served in Southeast Asia with the International Mission Board and then was a strategy coordinator to an unreached people group um, taught at the Philippine Baptist Theological Seminary and then um, and then had uh, had been stateside, but then went and did more time as a strategy leader for Filipino people groups, um, but then came and joined the faculty at Southeastern. So, I mean, kind of two rounds of, of career there, uh, but really beloved in the classroom, just a, a great, great man. I loved always working with him, did a lot for the equip network as well. And then, um, you know, their family is really involved in the community. His son was a state champion quarterback for a couple of years, I think, and very, uh, really, really good in uh, North Carolina for Wake Forest High School. So, uh, so just a cool family and congratulations to Al James. Yeah. All right. So those are our retirements at Southeastern. And finally, Amy, uh, a tough story. We have to do these tough stories here on the podcast. Uh, don't enjoy it, but here we are again. Uh, Jennifer Cecil, a volunteer at a local Christian school and a member at Concord Baptist Church in Jefferson City, Missouri, has been arrested and charged with sex-related charges. Uh, She was charged with first-degree sexual abuse, sexual contact with a student, second-degree statutory rape, and second-degree statutory sodomy, according to local media reports. She pled not guilty to all charges and posted a $15,000 bond. Uh, We bring this up because uh, one of the things you and I have been talking about is the culture change that's needed in the SBC as it relates to reporting sexual abuse. And we see that, I think, from Concord Baptist Church. John Nelson good friend of the pod and the Missouri pastor and chairman of the Missouri Baptist Convention's sexual abuse response team said that the Concord Baptist statement was reported in a way that, quote, was both measured and survivor-centered. And and he also said that the team in Missouri is encouraged to see the beginnings of a culture change, which is spurring churches to respond to instances of abuse with decisive action. Yeah, that's why these stories are so hard uh, to take in, but it is also so important to recognize the reason we're hearing about them, uh, at least in a lot of cases, is because people are coming forward, but then churches are going public with it. Yes. And they are taking the right steps. And that's what we want to continue to see. Um, And obviously, we don't know the ones that might not be, but with each one that does, 
uh, that gives that gives another example for others, and that's how culture change happens one at yeah. a time. One final note on this, Amy, just to mention that the Concord Baptist statement uh, did note that the inappropriate affection to a minor during an event not affiliated with the church. So it was not a church event. So just want to make clear that piece that, of information. Yeah, and that's and that's helpful clarification, but it also shows us that these are things where people could come forward and just because it doesn't happen at a church event, that doesn't change the fact that, okay, when someone comes forward, what do you do um, as a church, particularly yeah. if it's a volunteer or a person there, you still walk through these through these steps. You don't just say, well, it didn't happen here, so it's not our concern. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's the big piece here. Yeah. One of the big yeah. pieces. Yeah, so, so that's a, a very important um it's a very important detail because it because it demonstrates when when someone comes forward, you you act, you yeah. act, and you take steps, um, no matter what, and you see the see the process through. Yeah, absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for our news this week. Bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, Laura Mines. All right, so we're going to go to 1994. Ooh, do the math for me, history. Jonathan. Is that 29, 29 years? Nine years. 29 yeah. years. Right. So also um, six basically to me, because you know, it, in my head, it's still right. 2000. Right. Right. But it's not. So it's 1994 not. is when Southwestern seminary announced that Ken Hemphill would be oh. coming as the president. So um, the he uh, was, annual meeting this year. Yeah. Dr. He Perkins. was unanimously elected by the trustees of Southwestern seminary to be the seventh president in their 86-year history at that time. He was elected on July 28th. Ralph Pulley was the chairman of the trustees. Um, he was a, a Dallas attorney, and he announced that they had a secret ballot vote at a special called meeting. It was a closed meeting, but it was um, a unanimous unanimous selection, succeeding Russell Dilday. So, Who just recently passed away. That's right. That's right. So Russell Dilday had been terminated March 9th. So the, that, yeah. that wasn't a super long search. Nope. Uh, which is really different. I mean, a lot of the searches that we see these days seem to take a, a hey, really long it, time. Tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They do. Um, so I'm going to put the link in the show notes for people to see. It's a pretty long story in uh, in Baptist press and in Baptist press about the election, but then also Art Tolston had an interview with him, and that's really good. And then in that same issue, uh, it announced that Russell Dilday would be joining Truett Seminary. So it was kind of interesting that came right after this wow. announcement. It was I all happening at the at the same time. So, and that's at Baylor, by the way, for for those keeping score at home. That's right. That's right. So anyway, just very interesting. And um, sometimes, you know, I love to find those fun human interest stories, but sometimes you come on something and say, you know, this is a, that was a significant a, moment. A, yeah, significant moment. And it happened this week in SBC history. Wow. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is? All right. My resource is a uh, new study out from Lifeway Research about deconstruction says um, that many churchgoers are not familiar with the term deconstruction, but if they are, they have seen it. It's it found that more than one in three are familiar or very familiar 
with deconstruction. They said the concept of an individual deconstructing their faith in which they systematically dissect and often reject Christian beliefs they grew up with. That was 36%. Meanwhile, more than one in four, 28% had, have not heard of the term at all. Um, but it's, but it's very interesting to see, uh, to see that, you know, this is something, I mean, it's a word that's probably only been really tossed around for less than five years now, um, at least really talked about, but it's, I mean, it's pretty, pretty much up there. Um, 54% of, now this is U.S. Protestant churchgoers. So it's okay. not just Southern Baptists. It's not just evangelicals. It's, it's Protestant. Uh, 54% are at least somewhat familiar. So that's, you know, very familiar, familiar, somewhat familiar. Um, but 73% of Protestant pastors are at least somewhat familiar. So obviously, I think pastors are going to see it more because they're going to see either questions that people have or um, hear and know about this. Uh, it's a really interesting study kind of breaks down um, denominationally as well, says um, Methodist and restorationist movement, I think that's probably my background, um, are among the least likely to say they haven't, they haven't seen deconstruction among, uh, among attendees in their churches. And also the majority of Methodist and restorationist movement pastors say they haven't seen it happening. So uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I would still say the majority of church group of churchgoers have not seen anyone in their own congregation. Um, but Scott McConnell said um, the numbers that are there are, they're significant, you know, uh, in, in something that's kind of a new conversation. You know, I, I commented to you this week that we're seeing a lot more um, books about this that are, are popping up. And so it just demonstrates that this is definitely something that is happening and I think the thing that's hardest for me is to recognize, at least anecdotally, that, you know, for years we would hear about, you know, when you go away to college, to university, your faith is going to be challenged. And that was seen in more of an apologetics type issue. It was a, a almost like a, a an academic thing. You're going to lose your faith. But what we are seeing right now, in most cases that I can see, I'd love to see a, a study on this. It has way more to do with um, experiencing tremendous pain in in a church setting, um, whether that is uh, you know abuse, whether it's spiritual abuse, you know whatever, or if it's just deep hurt um, from the way that people are treated, and that seems to be a spark. Um, I'd love to see more study and fleshing out of that, especially because that's uh, completely antithetical to what scripture says, right? I mean, scripture says that the world, so the world is supposed to know us by how we love one another. And the, what the discussion we're seeing right now doesn't seem to show a picture of that um, to the world. How representative that is, I, I don't know statistically. Uh, what I do know is that I'm not, you know, the, the public conversation surrounding what our church families are like is not a pretty one when it comes to how people are treating, you know, one another. And so, uh, so this definitely is something that I think needs continued study. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be uh, interested to see if Lifeway does anything else on this. 
Uh, but my resource of the week is a new book. I tweeted about it this week. It's from Lauren McAfee and David S. Dockery. Oh, yeah, I saw you know, your tweet about that. Yeah, so uh, many of you know Dr. Dockery as the uh, president at Southwestern. Many of you know Lauren with her involvement in Stand for Life. So this uh, book is created in the image of God. They are the editors of that. It's applications and implications for our cultural confusion. So it talks about gender, talks about uh, the Imago Dei, talks about life, you know, the like pro-life movement and everything like that. So really neat compilation here that they have put together. And uh, I just got it, started cracking into it this week. And uh, so looking forward to finishing off that book. But uh, a lot of friends of the pod in here. Katie McCoy's got a chapter in there. Dan Darling's got a chapter in there. A couple others as well. So uh, many of you will know a lot of the folks that are in the new book here from David Dockery and Lauren McAfee. So releases August 1st. You can uh, pre-order it now. Releases next week. Very cool. Check that out. That's going to do it for our show this week, Amy. Thanks again to Josh Benton for coming on, talking to us about Sin Relief. Again, if you have questions or want to get involved in anything that Sin Relief is doing, sinrelief.org and globalhungerrelief.org. That's coming up at the end of August. That's uh, Global Hunger Sunday. You can be a part of that in your local church. So, Amy, see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.